0: chapter 8 of the loudwater mystery this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org the loudwater mystery by edgar jepson chapter 8 that morning olivia went to meet gray in a mood very different from that of the afternoon before Then she had moved on light feet, in high spirits, expectant, even excited. She had not known what was coming, but the prospect had been full of possibilities, and thanks to the sudden appearance of the cat Melchizedek, at the crucial moment she had not been disappointed. Today she would have gone to meet the man who loved her in yet higher spirits, for there is no blinking the fact that she was wholly unable to grieve for her husband. He had, with such thoroughness, extirpated the girlish fondness she had felt for him when she married him, that she could not, without hypocrisy, make even a show of grieving for him. His death had merely removed the barrier between her and the man she loved. But today she did not go to her tryst and spirits higher For the removal of that barrier, she went more slowly, on heavier, lingering feet. Her eyes were downcast, and her forehead was furrowed by an anxious, brooding frown. The sight of Colonel Gray waiting for her at the door of the pavilion smoothed the furrows from her forehead and quickened her steps. When the door closed behind them, he caught her in his arms and kissed her. It was early in her widowhood to be kissed, but she made no protest. She did not feel a widow. She felt a free woman again. It is even to be feared that her lips were responsive. Anthony too was changed. He was paler and almost careworn. There was no doubt of his joy at her coming, no doubt that it was greater than the day before. But it was qualified by some other troubling emotion. Now and again he looked at her with different eyes. Eyes from which the joy had of a sudden faded, rather fearful eyes that looked a question which could not be asked. Her eyes rather shrank from his, and when they did look into them, it was with a like question. But they were too deeply in love with one another for any other emotion to hold them for long at the time. Presently, in the joy of being together, looking at one another, touching one another, the fearfulness and the question passed from their eyes. There was nothing rustic about the pavilion, inside or out. It was of white marble, brought from Carrara, for the fifth, Baron Loudwater at the end of the 18th century, and a whim of her murdered husband had led him to replace the original delicate, rather severe furniture by a most comfortable broad couch, two no less comfortable chairs with arms, a small red lacquer table, and a dozen cushions. He had hung on each wall a drawing of dancing girls, by Degas. Since the covering of the couch and cushions were of Chinese silken embroideries, the interior appeared a somewhat bizarre mixture of the Oriental and the French. Anthony had been in some doubt that Olivia would come, but he had thought it natural that she should come to him in such an hour of distress for he knew the simple directness of her nature therefore he had taken no chance he had gone to high wycombe ransacked its simple provision shops and brought away a lunch basket she was returning to the castle for lunch but he persuaded her to stay she needed no great pressing she had a feeling that every hour was precious that it was unsafe to lose a single one of them a foreboding that she and anthony might not be together long. It almost seemed that a like foreboding weighed on him. At times they seemed almost feverish in their desire to wring the last drop of sweetness out of the swiftly flying hour. After lunch again, the thought came to her that she ought to go back to the castle that she might be needed and missed, but it found no expression. She could not tear herself away. She had been denied joy too long, and it was intoxicating. It was five o'clock before she left the pavilion. She walked briskly, with her wonted, easy-swinging gait, back to the castle in a dream, her anxiety and fear for the while forgotten. On her way up to her suite of rooms, she met no one. She was quick to take off her hat and ring for her tea. Elizabeth Twitcher brought it to her, and from her, Olivia learned that only Mr. Manley had asked for her. She realized that, after all, thanks to her dead husband, she was but an inconspicuous person in the castle. No one had been used to consult her in any matter. She was glad of it. At the moment, all she desired was freedom of action, freedom to be with Anthony, and the fact that the life of the castle moved smoothly along in the capable hands of Mrs. Carruthers and Mr. Manley gave her that freedom. After her tea she went out into the rose garden, and was strolling up and down it when Mr. Flexen, pondering the information which he had obtained from William Roper, saw her and came out to her. He thought that she shrank a little at the sight of him, but assured himself that it must be fancy, surely there could be no reason why she should shrink from him. I'm told, Lady Loudwater, "'that you went out through the library window "'into the garden for a stroll "'about a quarter to twelve last night. "'Did you, by any chance, "'as you went in or came out, "'hear Lord Loudwater snore? "'I want to fix the latest hour "'at which he was certainly alive. "'You see how important it may prove.' "'She hesitated, wrinkling her brow, "'as she weighed the importance of her answer. "'Then she looked at him "'with limpid eyes and said, "'Yes,' He knew. The sixth sense of the criminal investigator told him that she lied, and he was taken aback. Why should she lie? What did she know? What had she to hide? "'Did you hear him snore going out, or coming in?' he said. "'Both,' said Olivia firmly. Mr. Flexen hesitated. He did not believe her. Then he said, "'How long did Lord Loudwater sleep after dinner as a rule? What time did he go to bed?' It varied a good deal. Generally, he awoke and went to bed before twelve, but sometimes it was nearer one, especially if he was disturbed and went to sleep again. Thank you, said Mr. Flexen, and he left her and went back into the castle. Lord Loudwater had certainly been disturbed by the woman with whom he had quarreled. He might have slept on late, but why had Lady Loudwater lied about the snoring? What did she know? What on earth was she hiding? Whom was she screening? Could it be Colonel Gray? Was he mixed up in the actual murder? Mr. Flexen decided that he must have more information about Colonel Gray, that he would get in touch with him, and that soon. He had information about him sooner than he expected, and without seeking it. Inspector Perkins was awaiting him, with Mrs. Turnbull, the landlady of the Carton horse. The inspector had learned from her that the Lord Loudwater had paid a visit to her lodger the evening before, and that they had quarreled fiercely. Mr. Flexen heard her story and questioned her. The important point, it seemed to him, to be Lord Loudwater's threat to hound Colonel Gray out of the Army. Mrs. Turnbull left him plenty to ponder. Mr. Manley had told him that the handle of the famous knife would probably provide him with an embarrassment of riches in the way of fingerprints. It seemed to him that the stories of William Roper, Mrs. Carruthers, and Mrs. Turnbull had provided him with an embarrassment of riches in the way of possible murderers. It grew clearer than ever to him that the inquest must be conducted with the greatest discretion, that as few facts as possible must be revealed at it. It was also clear to him that, Unless the handle of the knife told a plain story, he would get nothing but circumstantial evidence, and so far he had gotten too much of it. He made up his mind that it would be best to see Colonel Gray at once, and form his impression as to the likelihood of his having had a hand in the crime. But he was loath to believe that a V.C. would murder in cold blood, even as detestable a bully as Lord Loudwater appeared to have been. But he had seen stranger things. Moreover, it depended on the type of V.C. Colonel Gray was. V.C.'s varied. Mr. Flexen lost no time. It was nearly six o'clock. It was likely that the Colonel would be back at his inn after his fishing. Mrs. Turnbull was sure that he had as usual gone fishing, for when he set out in the morning, he had taken his rod with him. Anthony Gray was not the man to omit a simple precaution like that. Therefore, Mr. Flexen ordered a car to be brought round and was at the cart and horse by twenty past six. He found that Colonel Gray had indeed returned. He sent up his card. The maid came back and at once took him up to the Colonel's sitting-room. Gray received him with an air of inquiry, which grew yet more inquiring when Mr. Flexen told him that he was engaged in investigating the affair of Lord Loudwater's death. Therefore, Mr. Flexen came to the point at once. "'I've been informed that Lord Loudwater paid you a visit last night, and that a violent quarrel ensued, Colonel Gray,' he said. "'Pardon me, but the violence was all on Lord Loudwater's part,' said Colonel Gray, in an exceedingly unpleasant tone. "'I merely made myself nasty in a quiet way.' Violence is not in my line, unless I'm absolutely driven to it. And anyone less likely to drive anyone to violence than that obnoxious and noisy jackass I've never come across. The fellow was all words, abusive words. He had no fight in him. I gave him every reason I could think of to go for me, because I particularly wanted to hammer him. But he hadn't got it in him. Gray spoke quietly, without raising his voice, But there was a rasp in his tone that impressed Mr. Flexen. If a man could give such an impression of dangerousness with his voice, what would he be like in action? He realized that here was a quite uncommon type of V.C. He realized, too, that Lord Loudwater had made the mistake of a lifetime in his attempt to bully him. Moreover, he had a strong feeling that if it had seemed to Colonel Gray that Lord Loudwater was better out of the way, and a favorable opportunity had presented itself, he might very well have displayed little hesitation in putting him out of the way. He felt that the obnoxious peer would have been little more than a dangerous dog to him. He did not speak at once. He looked into Colonel Gray's gray eyes, and cold and hard they were, weighing him. Then he said, "'Lord Loudwater threatened to hound you out of the Army, I'm told.' Among other things, said Gray carelessly. Mr. Flexen guessed that the other things were threats to divorce Lady Loudwater. That would have been a very serious blow to you, he said. You're quite right, said Colonel Gray. Mr. Flexen could have sworn that he had started to say you're quite wrong and changed his mind. The Colonel seemed to hesitate for words. Then he went on. It would have been a very heavy blow indeed. You can see that for a man who enlisted in the artist's rifle in 1914 and fought his way up to the command of a regiment, nothing could be more painful. It would have been heartbreaking. I should have been years getting over it. The rasp had gone out of his voice. He was speaking in a pleasant, confidential tone, and Mr. Flexen did not believe a word he said. At the least, he was exaggerating the distress he would have felt at leaving the Army, but Mr. Flexen had the strongest feeling that he would have felt next to no distress at all. Again he was astonished. Colonel Gray was lying to him, just as Lady Loudwater had lied. What could be their reason? What on earth had they done? He kept his astonishment out of his face, and said in a sympathetic voice, "'Yes, I can see that,' and then again, it would have been painful and very unpleasant to feel that your thoughtlessness had landed Lady Loudwater in the divorce court. "'Oh, Lord, no,' said Colonel Gray quickly. "'There was no chance of any divorce proceedings. Even for a divorce case, at any rate, one brought by the husband, there must be some grounds, and he must have some evidence. The cock-and-bull story of a gamekeeper is hardly enough to found a divorce case on, is it?' "'Oh, I don't know.' The gamekeeper might convince a jury. You know what juries are. You can never tell what form their stupidity will take, said Mr. Flexen. But apart from the lack of evidence, there was no chance of a divorce case, I tell you. Loudwater hadn't got it in him, said Gray confidently. He'd have threatened and been abusive. He'd have gone on throwing that cock-and-bull story at Lady Loudwater for as long as she continued to stick to him but it would have stopped at that. His infernal temper never went any deeper than his lungs. Lady Loudwater had nothing to fear. "'Yet you think he would have done his best to hound you out of the army?' said Mr. Flexen, finding this conception of Lord Loudwater as a harmless, if violent, vaporer somewhat inconsistent. "'That's quite another matter,' said Gray quickly. "'It merely meant using his influence behind my back with some scurvy politician. There wouldn't have been any publicity attached to that, any exposure of his bullying. He'd have done that, all right. I should have thought that a man of Lord Loudwater's violent temper would rather have sought an open row, Mr. Flexen persisted. Of course, if he'd been really violent, but he wasn't, I tell you. He was only a blustering bully where women and servants were concerned, people he could cow. I tell you, I made it quite clear that he crumpled up directly, you stood up to him. Why hang it all? Any man with the soul of a mouse, who really believed that I had been making love to his wife, couldn't have taken things I told him, without going for me, at any risk. And as I'm still rather crocked up, and he knew it, there must have seemed precious little risk about it. I tell you, that he was just a blustering ruffian." Mr. Flexen had a strong impression that Colonel Gray was unused to being as expansive as this, that he was talking for talking's sake, possibly, to put him off asking some question which would be difficult or dangerous to answer. He could not, for the life of him, think what that question could be. "'I dare say you're right,' he said carelessly. "'Bullies aren't over-fond of a real scrape. But I'm told that you paid a visit to the castle last night and came away about a quarter past eleven. Did you?' Colonel Gray showed no faintest disquiet on hearing that his visit to Olivia the night before was known. But he did not give Mr. Flexen time to finish the sentence. He interrupted him, saying quickly, Yes, I went to see Lady Loudwater. I thought it likely that she would attach a good deal more importance to Loudwater's silly threats than they deserved, and might be worrying. It would have been quite natural. I wanted to talk it over with her, and set her mind at rest about it. It didn't take very long to do that, partly because it was a long time since he had really frightened her. She'd got used to his tantrums and bullying, and even this new game had not disturbed her very much. We both came to the conclusion that he was just blustering again and wouldn't do anything. As a matter of fact, I don't think she cared very much what he did. She'd got so fed up with him that she didn't care whether they separated or not. Mr. Flexen felt more sure than ever that this garrulity was unusual in Colonel Gray. He was talking with a purpose, apparently, to induce him to believe that both he and Lady Loudwater had taken her husband's threat of a divorce proceeding lightly. He began to think that they had not taken it lightly at all, or, at any rate, one or the other of them had not. Yes, he said, that's what always happens with those blustering fellows, In the end, no one takes them seriously. But what I came to ask you was, did you, as you came through the library, or went out through it, hear Lord Loudwater snore? Colonel Gray hesitated, just as Lady Loudwater had hesitated over that question. Plainly, he was weighing the effect of his answer. Then he said, no. Mr. Flexen's instinct assured him that Colonel Gray had lied. "'just as Lady Loudwater had lied. "'Are you sure that nothing in the nature of a snore "'came to your ears as you came out? "'Did you hear any sound from the room? "'You can see how important it is "'to fix as near as we possibly can "'the hour of Lord Loudwater's death,' he said earnestly. "'No, I heard nothing,' said Colonel Gray firmly. "'Bother,' said Mr. Flexen. "'It's very important. "'Possibly I shall be able to find out from someone else.' I hope you will," said Gray politely. Mr. Flexen bade him good-night cordially enough, and drove back to the castle in a considerable perplexity. Both Colonel Gray and Lady Loudwater were behaving in an uncommonly odd, not to say suspicious, manner. He was quite sure that both of them had lied about the dead man's snoring, but it was plain that either had lied with a different object. Lady Loudwater had lied to make it appear that her husband had been alive at midnight. Colonel Gray had lied to make it appear that he was dead at a quarter past eleven. But Mr. Flexen was sure that Colonel Gray had heard Lord Loudwater snore, and that Lady Loudwater had not. What did they know? What had they done? Or what had one of them done? End of Chapter 8 Recording by Richard Kilmer, Rio Medina, Texas